2: This is Make it point. Point. Make it M.I.P. With Massimela, Mark Thompson. Make it Get Woke. Happy Kwanzaa, everyone. We welcome you back at M.I.P. for the third day of Kwanzaa with our very special and esteemed guest. He's the professor and chair of the Department of Africana Studies at Cal State University, Long Beach, chair of the organization US and the National Association of Kawaita Organizations and creator of Kwanzaa and the Nguza Saba. And of course, the author of the definitive book, Kwanzaa, a celebration of family, community and culture. Who better to spend Kwanzaa with? than Dr. Maulana Koringa. And we greet him and greet all of you today with the word we should greet each other with all day and all this week. Habari Dr. Karinga.
3: Ujima, Habari Reverend Masumela. Ujima. The third principle of Kwanzaa is Ujima. And it calls on us, to text says, to build and maintain our community together and make our brothers and sisters problem our problem and to solve them together. This principle teaches us that we are responsible to and for each other, that we must build the good world we all want and deserve uh, to live in, and that it is a work It is a work which requires a profound and persistent ethical sensitivity to the needs and aspirations of others. Thus, the problems of poverty, of homelessness, of unemployment, of early death, of police violence and racialized justice, the pandemic of COVID-19 and our support of its survivors and the care for the families of the victims must not be approached simply as an isolated, personalized tragedy and unfortunate problems for others. Rather, they must be understood and engaged as problems which we all are affected by and responsible for solving. We are each other. The concept in Zulu is I am a person to other people. I cannot realize the fullness of my humanity in isolation. I must always do it in relationship. And so the suffering and struggles of the peoples of the world, for us as an oppressed and struggling people must be also important. And so the struggles in Sudan and Haiti and Palestine and Iraq, Afghanistan, Australia, Venezuela, Yemen, among the Uyghurs in China and the Rohingya in Burma. And all the people suffering in, in the process of struggling to end their struggle in any part of the world are our concerns also. For again, we live in a world and web of interdependence and the issues of freedom and justice, self-determination and peace. Are critical issues for all of us everywhere in the world. For as Minister Malcolm taught her, these liberation struggles are linked with our own and are the motive force of human history. Moreover, these struggles raise critical issues for us and the world, which we must deal with. The right to freedom and self-determination for all people, the wrongness of suppression and oppression and occupation, the right and responsibility of resistance and the wrongness of invasion, occupation, and unjust war, the right to the resources of one own land, and the wrongness of international robbery of these resources by corporations or conquering country. Thus, it's important for us to accept that our concerns for the oppressed must be expressed in a sustained practice to free ourselves, to free them, that our anger And injustice must be reflected in our active resistance to it, and that our preference for the poor must be linked to a practice which alleviates their poverty and points toward an end of their poverty. This ultimately means that we must take up and continue the historical and ongoing struggle for good in the world that our people began millennia ago. The struggle for freedom, the struggle for justice, the struggle for power of the masses, over their own destiny and daily life, and the struggle for peace in the world, a just peace. Therefore, we must enter the corporate temples and the political courtyards of the rich and powerful and radically renounce and confront them. We must resist their gods of wealth and war, turn over the tables around which they design the death, disposition and imprisonment of whole nations, and place a new life-affirming, life-enhancing, Common ground agenda before this country and the world. For as Mary McLeod Bethune, our foremother, taught, our task is to remake the world. It is nothing less than this.
2: You're listening to the, the best, best of the best of the best, of, the best,
3: of, the best of MIP. With honors,
2: as many of you know, ladies and gentlemen, I am in utter solidarity with my guest today and the work she does and her organization which by the way is celebrating its 15th anniversary and that's a pretty big deal they've been doing a lot of great work i was speaking to some young people earlier you know reminding them is interesting when we look at black lives matter and all of these movements around what is going on today um To a lot of young people, this seems new, but some of us have been dealing with this for generations, and this is an organization that's been dealing with this for at least the past 15 years. It's a testament to this organization's greatness, but it's also a testament to the fact that 15 years on, the work is still not done, and it must continue. We are so honored to be joined by one who is about to become a mother for the second time, our dear friend from the Gathering for Justice, Executive Director, Carmen Perez. Carmen, how are you?
1: I am good. It's so good to be on Zoom with you, talking to you, seeing your face. I know, you know, otherwise we'd be marching together, we'd be protesting together, but because of circumstances, we have to see each other this way. But I'm good, feel blessed, Um, certainly concerned about where we are politically, and, you know, also where we are in the justice movement. Um, But feeling good, you know, about to give birth in a couple of weeks. So as you know, they say, I'm trying to wind down, but certainly You know, this work and this movement keeps me engaged and keeps pulling in my heart that makes me want to continue to fight, even though I have to take some time for myself.
2: You know, speaking of which, Carmen, you have been continuing to work very, very hard. Um, With this, with the social justice stuff, the police-demic, and the pandemic, um, at this stage of your organizing career, are you feeling overwhelmed? And you're pregnant. Has this been overwhelming for you? I mean, you, if anybody's got a multitask, you do. It is,
1: yeah, it is overwhelming. I think um, we've been doing this work for a long time. You know, you mentioned 15 years. Mr. Belafonte first started the Gathering for Justice, uh, brought together the elders of the Civil Rights Movement after he had witnessed a five-year-old girl by the name of Jaisha Scott being handcuffed. And her charge was that she was unruly in the classroom and, So we see the fact that police officers get called in to do what counselors actually should be doing, but then to also see the last shooting that happened in Wisconsin, um, where the young man, you know, was shot in the back. It's overwhelming one, because we are under COVID. We are under this state of, you know, having to stay home and, uh, but there's still killings happening, right? So there's a lot of trauma that people are experiencing. And then you want to get up and you want to fly somewhere and you want to organize. I think that's my nature is just to go to wherever injustice is and organize something. And so I feel overwhelmed because I'm at this moment not able to travel. But I do have a dynamic team that I could deploy, you know, that is out You know, there are folks in Kentucky that are part of Justice League supporting what's happening there with Until Freedom and our sisters, Linda and Tamika Mallory and our brothers, Angelo and my son. Um, But for me, as somebody who is a doer, who's been doing this work for 25 years and feel a connection to being, you know, on the front lines, um, it's challenging. But it's an opportunity as well to pass the baton and to give others the opportunity to lead and to train up young people um, to, you know, carry on in the spirit of our elders, the many people that you are familiar with and that I'm familiar with, like the Harry Belafonte's and the Representative John Lewis's and the Bernard Lafayette's, Diane Nash's and, you know, Ella Baker's. Um, So I find this, you know, my husband and I always talk about opportunity and chaos, right? So what is this opportunity? in all this chaos that's happening. Um, But I will say my heart is always heavy. We organize in crisis every single day and we get to meet the families that are directly impacted by state or police violence. And so, you know, you have to kind of take a deep breath and hold whatever your emotions are, especially as a pregnant woman, I find myself in tears a little bit more than I've ever have in my whole life. Um, which is good because I always was very stoic in my work, you know, going into prisons, not personalizing, making it about myself or working with families. You have to have a level of just uh, strength in order to be there for, for other folks. But, you know, I shed a tear now, I'm I'll be moderating panels and hearing from family members and, you know, it's hard. It's hard because I think, like you said, everything's happening all at once and it's so visible. And then it continues to happen, right? So George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, um, Sean Monterosa, Eric Salgado, um, Andres Gallardo, all the three young men that were killed at the hands of police, you know, different types of systems of police, whether it was CHP or police officers or or even sheriffs. It's hard um, and you want to be there for the families and, and work with them and then I have a two-year-old, or almost two-year-old, who's also pulling on my shoulder, you know, needing me to be a mommy. So it's it's been quite interesting, but I'm happy to be celebrating our 15th anniversary. It's been a long 15 years, and Mr. Belafonte talks about the long-distance runner, and so we're here for the long distance, but I also know that there's a time in which, you know, I got to you know do my run and then allow somebody else to take the next couple of years too so we're we're using this as an opportunity to train up
2: how did well you mentioned erie belafonte and what happened with with the little girl that was handcuffed how did you get involved with mr belafonte and the gathering
1: Ooh, 15 years ago i used to be a young person in the space um i'm now an in-betweener uh but I was a mentee of Nane Alejandres. I was working inside prisons and offering services to the men, the cultural committees inside um, DVI or traveling around the world with Mr. Nane. And um, when Mr. Belafonte brought together the elders, what he realized was that a lot of the elders, um, you know, had their own positions. They had their own organizations and what he had asked of the elders uh, was to bring their mentees so that we could carry on the work. And so I was brought to the second convening, which was in Epps, Alabama. Mr. Belafonte chose a uh, cooperative, um, a big old farm where we didn't have reception, where you couldn't drive. You know, we about like 25 years old, we couldn't drive to the Lickostow. You know and so we had to be in space with one another with our elders we had to have conversations um and we learned so much um at that time about how our struggle particularly chicano latinos latinx people struggle was really um interconnected with the black struggle of this country and so built some really strong friendships and relationships that have carried on people like Dwana thompson people like CJ, Carrie uh, Jenkins out of Atlanta. And so I was brought in as a youth organizer. Um, I was part of the executive committee to help build what is now called the Gathering for Justice. Initially, we would consistently ask Mr. Belafonte, what is the agenda? He would convene us together. We were meeting, you know, the, the African-American Black community with the Chicano Latino community with the Indigenous, the Onondaga Nation with the poor white folks. And we're like, what is the agenda? And he would say to us, the agenda is to find the agenda. And so, you know, after 15 years, I think we have found our agenda. Our agenda is to eliminate the racial inequalities um, that are perpetuated in the criminal justice system. Our agenda is to fight against state and police violence. Our agenda is to stop child incarceration. But it took, you know, quite some time as we were building relationships. And what we learned is that we actually had more in common than we did differences. Um, And in 2007, after we had traveled across the country meeting different people, um, what we were able to do is convene uh, under the gathering for justice. Mr. Belafonte talked about every organization keeping their autonomy, but connected to a larger mission and vision. We convened in Oakland in 2007 with Mayor Dellums who welcomed us in a lot of Bay Area organizations. And we had a national convention where we adopted the ideology of Dr. King, which was Kingian nonviolence. Um, and So we organized in the spirit with the foundation of the past, but really honing in on the energy of the young people. And so been really excited to be part of this journey. I initially, like I said, I was young. I was brought in as an executive committee member, then hired to be the national organizing director, and now I'm the CEO and president. And so hopefully in a couple of years, one of our young people who has come in through our programs will take, you know, the will, will will take the rings and and lead this organization as well.
2: Well, let's let's talk about some of the current organizing. And you mentioned three names. The these things, these incidents of police violence happen every day. Uh, and many of them aren't reported on and in many of the cases there are on videos. So when we see the ones like the most recent one, obviously of Jacob Blake, which is, hey. is appalling as any others, we have a video. It's also interesting, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree. Um, obviously an intent was to kill but they didn't, right. which, which is going to obviously result in some ramifications we've not seen recently. An actual survivor of this type of attack will be able to articulate and share his own witness and testimony about what was going on. Normally we don't have that, the person is dead. So this this is, is, is a whole nother thing. But you mentioned some others and and what i what i really like to do carmen um is, is kind of walk through some of these other cases and the ones you've been looking at um in california and, and 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 obviously these are some of the ones that haven't gotten as much national attention but they need to so if we could go through um a little a, a little of those if you know a few of those if you don't mind of course
1: of course so you know in the month of I would say from May to June, it seemed like it was open season on Latinos here in the state of California. We he had Eric Salgado, who was driving um, with his pregnant girlfriend, who was shot down by the CHP. Um, young Latino man, his girlfriend ended up miscarrying. I mean, they're still seeking not only justice for Eric Salgado, but they're also seeking justice for his girlfriend. I believe her name is Brianna as well. Then on June 2nd, June 1st, a young man by the name of Sean Monterosa was out actually protesting on behalf of Black Lives Matter. The last text that he sent his sisters, Michelle and Ashley, were to sign the petition for George Floyd. And he was gunned down by Vallejo Police Department um, in front of a Walgreens. And they shot through an actual, um, the window, the you know, the front window of a, of a undercover police car and the police the, I believe the commissioner, the police commissioner has actually destroyed that evidence. There's a lot of things that are happening. They're putting a gag order on the family not to speak. Um, but there's a lot of injustice that's happening. And immediately after that, Andres Gallardo, who was killed, um, in Southern California, he was a security guard. He was killed by the sheriffs. And in that case, the sheriffs have actually, um, uh, I believe, put a moratorium. They they have blocked uh, the ability for the family to see the um, the coroner's report. Right. So <laughs> there's there's so much that happens every day. And and Jacob Blake, you know, you talk about a survivor. There are two other survivors that Justice League works with. We have um, Jacob Servin, who was a survivor of a beating out of Stockton uh, Police Department. He's a young man that has been wanting the release of the names of the officers who have actually beat him. Um, He also wants them prosecuted for attempted murder. They left him to die, essentially. Um, And then you have Akbar Rogers out of Long Island, uh, who, you know, one of our our Justice League members, Nia, works closely with, he himself was charged for his own assault by police. Fortunately, the community came around and rallied around him and um, they were able to drop those charges. But he's another young man that has lived to tell his story, right? Um, And so what we're seeing every single day is this trauma. um, And you're right, a lot of these cases are not getting national attention. I think what was very difficult about Jacob Blake is the fact that He had just broken up a fight, right? And he had his children in the car and he was walking away. He was de-escalating. He was trying to get out of the situation and a police officer with their ego grabbed him and started shooting him point blank. And so what oftentimes I think what people don't should understand is the fact that police officers are trained to kill. They are trained in their public safety course to kill other people because they want to go home to their families. They want to be able to write the police report. And so we need all hands on deck. Um, I know that we have seen, because of the work that has happened with Black Lives Matter and the the investment in the last seven years, six years of Black Lives Matter, we have now seen the ability for us to organize rapidly. And we also at the Gathering for Justice, we've been doing this work before the hashtag, but a hashtag allows you to connect to other people, right? A hashtag also allows you to connect to other organizers and to a cause and really identify the fact that at this moment, we need to, to say Black Lives Matter because what we are seeing, especially in with state violence, when it comes to um, police violence, is we're seeing that Black lives actually don't matter. Um, it's taken years for one officer to actually be fired in the NYPD um, who was responsible for the death of Eric Garner. You and I have marched for, I don't know how many years we've been in support of Gwen Carr and Eric Garner's family. And still we haven't seen justice for the family because not all of the officers that were there have been held responsible. Not only did he need to be fired, he also needs to be held accountable, right? Uh, but that was, again, the community organizing, the family organizing. And so that's what it really looks like when you have people who are able to support these families that are not necessarily people who wanted to be part of this club. You know, I just hosted um, and moderated for Families of Police Violence uh, through the Human Rights Network and Uncle Ron, the the Jordan Davis uh, Foundation, And it was so beautiful because we were talking about joy. For the first time, you were able to hear the stories of loved ones who have been killed at the hands of police by their family members. And there was uh, an expression of joy, sharing the beautiful stories of who they were, not who the media painted them to be. So these stories need to be told. Sean Monterosa, there's um, his information, there's petitions that need to be signed. There's also Andres Guayardo and Eric Salgado. And we don't often hear about Latinos because Latinos are often misidentified. The Vallejo Police Department misidentified Sean Monterosa and said he was African-American. And so there's this misidentification when it comes to Latinos. There's also a fear, right, of families speaking out because of potential undocumented status or just not knowing the system, having a language barrier. Um, But, you know, for us, we're going to continue to fight, whether it's for Sean Monterosa or if it's continuing on the path to fight for Eric Gardner, whose family still needs justice. Right. Um, We will always be there showing up. And especially with Jacob Blake and all the other uh, individuals that were killed in Wisconsin. You know, there's an officer in Wauwatosa who has three bodies on him. and so we just need to make sure that we continue to shed light on these issues. And part of the work that we do at The Gathering is doing that.
2: Um, so let me ask you this. When we say Black Lives Matter, uh, and I appreciate what you shared about the realities for our Latinx community. But when we say Black Lives Matter, um, do the brown lives that also don't matter, Do, do Does the Latino community feel left out in that at all?
1: I was talking to Michelle and Ashley Monterosa, the young women who are uh, sisters to Sean, and they're also fighting for Black Lives Matter. I think, you know, there are a lot of us that have shown up for Black lives, um, as Linda says, you know, and and which I embody as well as, Once Black people are free, our people be free. I've traveled around the world to Mexico, to Cuba, to Venezuela, to El Salvador, and I've met with Afro-Latinos, right, who have not received justice or the resources uh, versus their family community members. I've also been to Germany with uh, Afro-Germans who have also been um, discriminated against by Nazis, right? And so we see what happens all over the world. And so we, uh, we one, as Latinx people, I think we have to um, figure out the way in which we show up in solidarity, right? I'm not gonna go to a Black Lives Matter protest and say, you know, Latinos lives matter. That's just, that's not solidarity. Solidarity is showing up in service of and, um, but also we have to deal with the anti-Blackness and the whitewashing that has taken over our communities as a Latinx community, right? Um, Again, I shared with you going to Venezuela and meeting with Afro Venezuelans and uh, Afro Cubanos and all these different Latinos. There's this whole diaspora of people that we don't necessarily talk about that I think we need to acknowledge. And I think that any um, community who is still learning about the injustices uh, that's happening in our community, are trying to figure out how do we fit into this bigger puzzle if you look at the state of california latinos make the majority the latinx community makes up the majority of people that are incarcerated but yet we as latinos are really not um invested in criminal justice reform uh there's not many of us that have been uh working to make sure that latinos are not in the system so We, again, I think, have a lot of, um, there's a lot of complexities in our community. Um, However, I will say that there are a lot of Latinx people that are showing up for Black Lives Matter. They want, they're hungry. There are a lot of influencers that have reached out to me saying, how can I show up? How can I use my platform for Black Lives Matter? And especially because they do see their liberation bound. Uh, with black people. And then you also have those folks, like in any group, Mark, let's just be quite honest, like not all skin folk are kin folk, right? But there are some of the folks that are saying, what about us? What about Latin lives? Latino lives matter too. But we have to be affirmative when we say black lives matter.
2: Yeah, Um, tell us too about another case um, that I don't think enough people know about. Uh, Our sister Tiana, I believe, and, and what is the status of her case? She organized a peaceful protest, and they're trying to lock her up what fifteen years?
1: They are. I think what's happening. We saw this with um the Kentucky group too, is that now folks are being charged with felonies. Um, and so what we've seen since the beginning of our protesting years in twenty, what fourteen is the fact that in in New York City, they created a special unit to deal with protesters and terrorists, right? Um, So that's what you're seeing right now, is you're seeing the militarization of policing coming into our cities to deal with protesters, peaceful protesters, and also these charges that are outrageous for peaceful protesters to be intimidated and not go out to the streets. That's all this is. And you're right. There's a whole coalition that is in support of Tiana. There are a lot of people that are supporting um but because we all see ourselves in her we all know that we are the ones that are organizing whether it's a peaceful protest we try to ground and train our protesters we use marshals we do everything we also create the demand so that people are clear what they're marching and protesting for but as you're doing all that in order to make sure that people are protesting or marching with a purpose the police are also coming in and antagonizing. And so sometimes it's really hard to hold your cool. And we've seen this in the civil rights movement with the counter protests, right? With all the counter sit-ins and our elders. Um, And that's why we try to ground our team in the six principles of nonviolence. Attack forces of evil, not people doing evil. Because it's easy to pop off at a police officer after they're like hitting you with a baton. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that more people need to come out in support of her, especially because that could happen to any one of us.
2: Yeah, I have seen that. It's a greater application of the felony charge. Um, and and that's. Um...
1: And they've done that in Fer- in Ferguson, too, Mark. Remember, they did that to some of uh, the people that we knew that were out there. They were charged with about I don't know how many counts of felonies and they were in. Car- they were in jail for a long time. And so these scare tactics to not allow protesters to go out and fight for black lives, um, one, is just outrageous that they're doing this. But two, the fact that they're trying to do everything for us to not show up on, on the streets.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's what the battle's all about. 15 years, folks, the Gathering for Justice has been doing its work and of course, As I've always said, uh, the gathering, as Carmen has alluded to, um, is probably doing some of the best work of any organization. And again, organization is important. Doing some of the best work of any organization, bringing along a younger generation, bringing them up, uh, teaching them, giving them experience. And of course, um, when Mr. Belafonte gathered you all, you did have the likes of of John Lewis uh, with you. And I know you got a chance Uh, to know him uh, yourself. Is there anything most memorable to you about any of your experiences with John Lewis, Carmen?
1: One of the things that I love about the elders is the fact that they are so personable. They make you feel like you are number one in the room. And he talked a lot about his work. And as I was trying to you know, just thank him for the work that he had been doing. He was so adamant about making sure that I felt appreciated for the work that I was doing. Um, I know he spoke after our 250-mile march. That's when we had a march from New York City to D.C. in 2015. And he spoke on the last day. And although Tamika, myself, and Linda, you know, we couldn't really stand that long, he was speaking so passionately that we just felt like, this was the moment, this is why we actually marched, not only to shed light on those that were killed by police, but also because our elders march, right? A lot of folks in the past, Mark, have said, why still march, right? That's a ta- We don't march, we're, we're not. And it's because it actually creates a different level of awareness. It was a spiritual journey for us, but to be on that stage with Representative Jonathan Lewis was just powerful. And then I got to see him again at the uh, National Black Caucus in Washington D.C., where he actually honored me. And he was—I was so grateful to speak to him and and share with him, you know, some words of Mr. Belafonte. And you know, these elders—they they're funny because they got history and they got these jokes, you know, that <laughs> that like—they're right. uh, just they they're just some funny people. But he made me feel like I was the only person in the room. He really was grateful for the work that we were continuing in his spirit. And the fact that, you know, he passed this year, um, I think brought truly a lot of sadness to a lot of us. Um, But his film was an inspiration, Good Trouble. And I think all of us are certain to continue to get into Good Trouble um, in the years to come, especially because we feel connected to his work and his legacy and how he never, One thing I love about him, and even C.T. Vivian, who was part of the original Gathering for Justice, I remember interacting with all these giants. Um, C.T. Vivian, there was also, um, I had mentioned Dr. Bernard Lafayette, um, who was the person who wrote King Yananbaes, who had been a confidant also to Dr. King, um, there was just so many. I got the opportunity to go to the fiftieth anniversary of SNCC um, in Raleigh, North Carolina. So I got to sit at the feet of all these elders, and I just got to tell you, they're they're a pleasure to be around. Um, and they have like these jokes that you have to like really be mindful that you're you know you you just like sit back and let everybody else laugh because you don't know if it's okay to laugh about what they're <laughs> saying, but. You know Mr. B does that too. Mr. B, you know, this this old humor, you know, it's like uh decades and decades of of um just them laughing together and organizing together, but um I will say I think for me I lost my father at the age of 94 uh, almost 2 years ago. Yeah. And um and I think that was my first blow to like recognizing that I was going to lose the people that I love the most. And those have all been some of the elders in my life that have done some really amazing work. And so I think my father prepared me for that, that, um, that loss um, and just reminded me like, just stay in good company with these people and, and acknowledge their legacy and keep it forward. And that's really what I think is my responsibility, you know, as a bridge keeper between the youth and the elders is to make sure that the legacy of the Harry Belafonte the Dr. King's, the Representative John Lewis's, um, all of these folks that contributed to the civil rights movement, and not just the civil rights, but also the American Indian movement, right. the Chicano movement, the United Farm Worker movement, um, because all these movements were so important. Um, and we have to continue to teach the tactics um, because it's really, easy to get lost in the, the urgency of protest or the urgency of marching, but what are the long-term strategies to keep us in this fight for a long time? And so I'm really grateful for what they've paved, but certainly at moments I will share, I, I have sadness in how, you know, they're not, um, some of them are not with us right yep. now. Mm-hmm.
2: And when we, we think about our lives, to Carmen of course you're you're younger than me but I'm still in that in between age too between mm-hmm. the elders and the younger uh and you really do find yourself as a bridge and as the elders move on you know a- adulthood and responsibility is not always chronological right so, so as they move on it, it thrusts our generation more well, wait a minute we we this is us we got to step up we got to be adults (laughs) you you know we can't play no more we have to become grown women and men you know in in more ways than we ever thought we could be or were you really realize where you are in the world and the responsibility that you have and 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 obviously you were blessed and you've passed that blessing on uh to others having sat at the feet of these great giants and and learned so much and been able to touch the. The hems of their garments. And so um, we so appreciate you. Folks, the Gathering for Justice, again, people talk about how they can be supportive. There's so many ways to be supportive. Um, we ask you also to make donations. None of these organizations can function for free, all of them have to raise money. Uh, we invite you to go to the Gathering for Justice. and give everybody the website if you would.
1: Of course, it's gatheringforjustice.org. Uh, You could follow us at gather number four justice on Twitter and Instagram and NY justice league. Yes. Like the superhero group, we come together like Voltron. I wanted to just kind of go back to what you were talking about. Another uh, memory that I have is when Mr. Belafonte and Julian Bond were at SNCC at the anniversary and they're like playing with each other, um, like throwing things at one another. And then the moment in which I met Dick Gregory when I was being interviewed by um, a Democracy Now, and they were asking me, it was a, a it was a march, the silent march that happened on Father's Day many years ago in New York City. I was being interviewed. Dick Gregory pulls up, my eyes get big, like, oh, "That's Dick Gregory." And so, as she's interviewing me, I'm kind of like, "You need to interview him." And he's like, "No." He he was like, "No, no, no." Like, "You finish your interview." And just a fact like you read about these giants and then you're finally in space with them and you try not to like have your jaw drop and your eyes get wide, but you're so grateful for all the work that they do that you just happen to like glance over and they're so nonchalant about who they are. And I'm just... Again, very proud of the folks that I've gotten to experience, but I'm also really proud of the young people that we've been able to cultivate in the gathering and in Justice League as well, because if it wasn't for the investment that Harry Balafonte and all these elders made in me, um, you know, I don't I actually wouldn't know where I would be right and that allows me to continue uh, this legacy of the Dick Gregory's, of the Julian Bonds, of the of the laughter that they had with one another, um, and the humility, right? And they're also radical voice that is missing sometimes. Um, unless I'm talking to you or to Linda or you know some of our inner circle, we don't get to hear that uh, from others. But really grateful for you, Mark, um, and just wanted to share those stories because oh. I'm really I- proud.
2: <laughs> I'm, well, I'm grateful to you too. I, I um, the last few times I got to see Mr. Bellafonte and Dick in the same space. You talk about <laughs> jokes. Mr. Belafonte was is always worried when Dick is around telling jokes because Dick likes to tell dirty jokes. <laughs> Mr. Belafonte would say, "Keep it clean, Dick. Please keep it clean." We were at a banquet banquet once. And Dick kept it clean, and then afterward, Mr. Belafonte got it behind him and said, I want to thank my friend, Dick Gregory, for keeping it clean uh, <laughs> tonight. But uh, but no, and I, I appreciate all of you folks. Uh, being around Carmen and some of the young people she's been around has probably added some years of longevity to my life. When you're around young people, it tends to you know prolong your, your time here. So I'm grateful for that too. Folks, we invite you to go to Gathering for Justice dot o-r-g on their 15th anniversary folks It's is the 15th anniversary and we congratulate uh carmen and her beautiful family and she is expecting uh another baby on the way in the next few weeks i guess few days almost really uh so we wish you may are you going to take a break are you going to take some t-
1: i I will. I'm taking a break. I, I have to say we are uh, training up our team. We've got a lot of young people and some dynamic people that are part of the Gathering for Justice. And you're right, freedom ain't free. So if folks can actually support us, they could donate on our website. Um, but really, I'm, I'm going to be able to take time off for the first time since I was nine years old. Um, and so I don't really know what I'm going to do with myself. Um, obviously, I have a new baby. But you know me I want to get involved I want to call in to, to conference calls And see what's going on So um, I'm trying to work On boundaries right now But Yeah
2: I know the feeling Carmen and Perez, Folks Gatheringforjustice.org Thank you Carmen And happy 15th anniversary Thank you Alright Wonderful Thanks for getting woke And listening to Make It Plain Please remember to listen Like Subscribe